0: Hello I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the show that feels just a little bit left out and not being linked with the Oldham job actually. This week what's happened to Yakstan's Reading? They were a penalty shootout away from the Premier League in May. They haven't won in six and the fans are beginning to turn. With 22 goals they're the hotshots of League One but Peterborough have conceded 17 too. What's going on? We sent the Angel of Defeat Matt Stanger to investigate and with predictable results. Hey, do you remember Lincoln and the Cup run and the Cowley brothers? Well, how are they getting on now they're back in the Football League? We've got someone here who knows the club inside out. It's all in the brand new Totally Football League show. David Priest. Hello. Welcome. Thank, Thank you so much for coming. Absolute pleasure. You bring bags of experience, not just as goalkeeper, but a goalkeeping coach and now quite the accomplished journalist.
1: Well, I don't know about that, but uh, the more I'm doing this, the more I enjoy it, so thanks for having me. No, it's always a pleasure.
0: And we're also joined, as always, by Blackburn supporting set-piece editing, Matt Stanger. Matt, how are you? Very good, thank you. Fantastic stuff. Now listen, last week we asked for messages and reviews and ratings, and you guys really came out to bat for us. Thank you so much for that. We will answer your new questions at the end of the show, but if you want to say more, you know where we are? On Twitter we're at The Totally Show and on Facebook at The Totally Football Show. Get over to Facebook, there's oodles of things there. Videos, tick infos, nudes, everything. Get in there. Right, we'll be talking about Reading in a bit, but first of all, let's round up what happened at the weekend. Because guys. We need to talk about Leeds. Not today, obviously, it's a busy show, but at some point, because it's just one win in five for them now, and a spanking at the hands of Sheffield Wednesday that saw their manager, Thomas Christensen, describe them as the very worst thing you can call someone on Leeds. Soft. Speaking of soft, our Sunderland um, hardening. Uh, They turned a 1-0 lead at Preston into a 2-1 deficit in the space of two minutes. Who among us didn't scoff and say, well, of course? But they came back. They rescued a point are there green shoots for Simon I'm Quir- Sorry, I got really far through that, but I couldn't believe it. And we'll talk about Reading in a minute. They lost 2-1 to Norwich, whose form has dramatically improved since the international break, because that
2: Reading goal is the only one they've conceded in six games. Matt! QPR lost 2-1 at home to Fulham in the West London derby on Friday night. The Ars had 25 attempts at goal in this one, but were down by a strike from Stefan Johansson. On Saturday, Birmingham were pumped 6-1 by Leonard Slutsky's entertainers, with Steve Cottrell in the stands at the KC Stadium. there have been a few questions about why he wasn't in the dugout after being appointed on Friday. And it's now one win in five for Middlesbrough after they scraped a 2-2 draw at home to Brentford. Ollie Watkins scored for the third game running for the visitors. Hey, there's a bit of a
0: slip from Cardiff this weekend, but they weren't the only ones. They're just a goalless draw with Derby for them. And there was a slip from Sheffield United too, losing at Nottingham Forest. Big enough win there would have sent the blade to top. And we're still not sure what to make of Millwall. They were fiery and tenacious and proper wall, as I believe the saying is in midweek against Reading. And then they lost 3-1 at home to Barnsley.
2: Burton suffered a second 4-0 home defeat in the space of a week, with Wolves picking up where Aston Villa left off last Tuesday. Even Cavalero pulled the strings with two assists for Nuno Santos' side. And Aston Villa beat Bolton 1-0, meaning Wanderers have now lost eight consecutive matches in all competitions, and they haven't scored in that dismal run either. And Bristol City beat Ipswich 3-1 to move up to fourth in their Championship table. They're now unbeaten in 11.
0: Let's uh, let, let's have a look at Reading. You know, Reading they made the playoff final last year, only just missed out on promotion to the Premier League on penalties. And that sort of thing goes two ways, doesn't it? You know, you you might go like Sunderland, head over to Peter Reed's house, get stinkingly drunk for a week, and then hit pre-season like a runaway train, securing promotion the proper way next time round. Or you might go like this, like Reading. Beaten by QPR on the opening day of the season. They've only won two games in the league so far against Villa and Birmingham at a time of the season when that doesn't really count. Uh, They've picked up two points from a possible 15. They're playing really dull football at the moment. And they just got done by Norwich. Matt, what's gone
2: wrong? Well Ian, they played a, a town called Malice over the PA system at half-time on oh, Saturday <laughs> and it's really become that for, for Yapstam this season. I think it's it's a bit beyond the uh, classic case of playoff final hango- hangover at this stage. That's five matches now without a win, the 20th in the table and as you say, the football's been pretty uninspiring really and Yapstam, he's acknowledged that he's under pressure and he seems to be getting a, a little bit edgy as well.
0: Uh, David, what have you made of him?
1: Do you know what, the...
2: They took a lot of plaudits
1: last season for the for the type of football they were playing, and but I, I never saw it. I, I I saw last season exactly what I'm seeing this year, and it was pretty uninspiring stuff. and I, And I think that uh, Al Habzi last year he, he played really well. I know the Redden fans were a real favourite there. He had a lot to do last year. It just, it just wasn't the type of football that I'd want to watch. And I, I know it's, it was meant to be a track of football, this passing style, but as we're seeing now, we're seeing with Frank De Boer, we're seeing with uh, Van Gaal, we're, we're seeing with Koeman now. The, the type of football that's sort of, that has been successful in the past with Dutch sides and Dutch managers just isn't working at the moment. And I think that, again, talking about goalkeepers, you know, I think it was a great signing for being Vito Minoni, and even though he didn't play a lot last season, uh, if you look at a lot of the stats and the and the, the data on him, he was pretty. Uh, he, he was overperforming. When he was at Sunland and and I think that uh, I thought that would be a, a great sign from but it, if, for Redden, But just has not seen it work. And you see, it, it wasn't the fact that they were only uh, two games away from from getting to the to the uh, to the Premier League or a game away from the Premier League. The fact that they lost Paul McShane as well, they were sending off from maybe maybe he's getting the result and going through the the play final. And it was
2: um, that was a big hit for them. And it's, but like I said, it's it's just uninspiring stuff. And I, I, I'm seeing exactly this season what I saw last year. I think a key problem from this season has been missing Jan Kermigant from from injury. Uh, he was injured in pre-season. Yap Stam said he's working his way back now, but he was obviously top scorer last season with 18 in the championship. And so that is a big loss for him. But I think Stam hasn't really adapted maybe to to missing Kermigant because they look very disjointed against Norwich. Where uh, one thing I noticed actually was that they put in 20 crosses. On Saturday, but they only have five foot eight inch forward Roy Beerens in a centre forward position, so he's not likely to get on the end of any of those when Tim Close is about.
0: <laughs> well, they've really struggled up front because they've been playing a Luco up there before the Norwich game, and he just he doesn't look like a like a out and out lone striker, does he?
2: No, and you can see that they're losing a bit of confidence as well because the players stopped to mo- stop moving around and they weren't really showing for the ball. And I think probably the thing that I enjoyed most actually was uh, Paul McShane getting a little bit tired of passing it around the back at some stages and just booting it long to, to, to <laughs> no one in particular
0: just unilaterally changing the tactics to,
1: to be fair I know Paul quite well it, it's not just footballs he likes to boot either so I'm surprised it was only footballs that he was booting oh god
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible oh no, he, 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 been he,
1: just, he just tends to lose he can lose the head
0: now and again like you like oh did right. in the
1: playoffs last
0: season um Chris Levy in the uh, Football League paper, which you should be buying, it's pound fifty, and it's brilliant, um, he painted quite the unflattering portrait of, uh, of, of Yapstam uh, in comparison to Pep Guardiola. Um, uh, attacked the, the style of the football and also defended the fans because the fans have been complaining and Yapstam's been biting back. Uh, he said £345 a season, you've got a
1: right to complain. Is that fair? Yeah, but I think it just goes against everything that uh, all successful sides are doing at the moment. Uh, it, it plays in other teams' hands. I mean, you, you mentioned Sunderland there. The, the, the only time Sunderland ever look comfortable, especially when they play the midfield two of Catamore and Lendong, is when teams are coming onto them and, and they can break. Uh, they, they get a chance to break teams up and to counter on them. Whereas, like I said, with Red, it's it's teams find it very easy to to contain them and then once they do make that break forward like you said when it does eventually come forward all it takes is just them to nick the ball and then the straight count them which is playing at the hands of the opposition
0: Well this is exactly what Millwall did um, the other night Millwall were 4 waited 2 for him to cross the halfway line and then just hit them like a pack of dogs um,
2: and, and won the game very well relatively comfortably um, they were certainly the better team Matt? Yeah when you're playing this style it only takes one or two players that aren't suited to it for the whole system to fall down really Without wishing to be mean-spirited, we said that about Mike Williams, Williamson's start at Oxford, didn't we? And uh, it was no surprise to see them do better this weekend with him on the bench. Oof. So I, I think it's the same sort of thing. If you've got a couple of players that have never really played a style of passing game like Stan wants to implement before, then really it's, you know, it's difficult to, to get any momentum in the team.
0: Are there positives there? I mean, they have got Chris Gunter, who's just been named uh, Welsh Footballer of the Year. Did he impress you?
2: I didn't think he played very well, actually. He gave the ball away at one stage in the second half where he looked to try and pass it back inside to, to keep possession and he almost played Norwich in. So, you know, another example really of, of this not working for them at the moment. The
1: thing is, it's not just the style of football that's sort of the, the likes of Stammer playing now. It's the fact that they're so stubborn with it as well. I think what you're seeing with the successful managers people can accuse uh, Pep Guardiola of maybe changing formations too much and tinkering too much which might have affected them last season defensively but also you've got the Italian managers who uh, notorious for being exactly what Conte last, did last year he he recognized it was a problem and he changed it he talked about the personnel that they've got some like sonny a he would be the perfect player to to hit teams on the break he's very fierce he's direct I mean he scored I remember watching him a few years ago when he was up with Aberdeen and it, he I mean, he scored against Bayern Munich when they drew 1-1 at Petojuri you know so and, and that was the type of football Obviously Bayern Munich had a lot of uh, a lot of possession and they were hitting Aberdeen managed to hit them on the break But it was um, that. So if he can just tweak it a little bit, so it's not just so possession based, because it's obviously not getting them anywhere, and it's going to get to a point where the the going after uh, steps are going to be taken. Where he's either going, he's either going to have to change his tactics, or he's going to be changed.
0: Is is there any way back for him? Because once once the team starts to lose confidence, as we've seen, so many other places, it's very hard to turn it around, isn't it? It's a writing on the wall
2: for him already. I think I think this is the beginning of the end, certainly, because he's got consumed by this combative uh, relationship now with the fans. I mean, you know, he's criticised the atmosphere at the Majewski Stadium. And I think, like David says, there's been a bit of stubbornness there from not wanting to change his tactics. The loss of Kermagon is crucial. And if you don't really change your style when you lose your top scorer like that, you know, you, you're setting yourself up for a fall. And I think, uh, yeah, he, he won't be there for, for very much longer.
1: And I think what's working against a lot of managers in that division now, you're seeing a lot of teams that were in the bottom half last season have started well and got points on the board. So it's going to make it difficult for people. But I think it doesn't always work the way that, you know, where you if you have a good season last year, it doesn't always it give you a lot of leeway. But perhaps it will do this year with him. And if you're implementing a style of the club like he's trying to and you want to sort of have like a maybe it's not a legacy because you want them to still be there So maybe the wrong word but I think the fact that if you want some continuity and the club wants some continuity and that's the style of player that they want to play and the type of club they want to become then they can ride it out and maybe just take this take this hit and just finish mid-table and then go again next season
2: Obviously if any of any of us talk about this to Yapstan's face then we're going to say a completely different story
0: <laughs> yeah, It's going fine stick with it it'll be alright Hey, if you want to go and see Reading, and, you know, if you're in London, it's not that far away, Uh, take Junction 11 of the glorious M4. There's all sorts of on-site and off-site parking, as you'd expect from a club more recently synonymous with the auto-trader squillions. or you can just take the train to Reading Station uh, from Paddington. It's about a 25-minute walk from there. Oh, and what a walk. The club website also gives directions if you're travelling by air. Which seems a little ambitious. Um, Heathrow, by the way. Your cheapest adult match day ticket is £25 quid or £8 if you're 17 or under. Hey, if you'd want to do something possibly slightly more exciting, though not very much, than watching Reading, you could go and see the Totally Football show live November the 8th at Birmingham at the Glee Club, November the 29th at the O2 in London very exciting panels presented of course by James Richardson produced of course by producer Ben Uh, we've got Rafa Honigstein at one we've got James Horncastle at the other I'll probably be at both and we're still sorting special guests as well it's all very very exciting and you can get your tickets for the Birmingham Glee Club at glee.co.uk or for that and the London gig uh, on our Facebook get on our Facebook all the details are there And hey, if you're enjoying the show, and we really, really hope you are, could you take a moment, subscribe on iTunes or, you know, through your portal of choice? We're free, you see, but we do have to impress advertisers. So it's one click for you. It's second series for us. Right, it's time for the Fan League, except it's not time for the Fan League because there is no Fan League this week, thanks to the uh, never less than devastatingly dull international break and there's no premier league or championship games this weekend but that does make this a good opportunity to download the fan league app Um, and you can link up with us all you have to do is search for my name ian McIntosh. Uh, link up with me i'll invite you to join the totally football league league not that you have to play with us of course you can make your own league you can link up with your own friends do your own thing (laughs) Doesn't bother us. You can compare your own stats. Hell, you can even compete against Sven Juren Ericsson. And not only that, but you have a chance of winning £1,000 if you download the app, register, recruit two friends and then like the Fanbook Facebook page. And that's it. Fanleak making professional pillocks like me look silly since 2017. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and I'm getting old now. My hair's going grey, a bit wobbly around the middle... And when everyone's out, I have to pluck my nasal hairs. But you know what? I have never looked better, because I shave with a cornerstone razor. My chin is now so smooth that if I fell on my face in the street, I'd slide approximately 200 metres. And as I went, men and women alike would put a hand to their crotch
3: and say, damn, that man is beautiful. Cornerstone take all the hassle out of shaving. Let them know how often you defuzz and sign up to one of their plans and you'll never have to worry about running out of blades ever again because they'll deliver them right to your door. To get yourself started, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. You'll receive a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades for just £4. That's cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. I'm Ian McIntosh and
0: thanks to Cornerstone, I am beautiful time to turn our attention to League One we'll be talking Peterborough in a moment but first of all let's find out what happened this weekend because uh, Matt you know he's creeping up the table of course you do we've already alluded to it. it's Blackburn they've only been beaten once since August the 23rd and Tony Mowbray's side beat manager Gillingham 1-0 on Saturday there was no such joy for Wimbledon, though. They could only draw with Rochdale. And there were 20,000 people at the Valley Parade to watch Bradford beat Doncaster. I know that's actually their average attendance, but it still impresses me, man.
2: Bristol Rovers' 2-1 win against Plymouth means it's now 10 matches since the Pilgrims last won a game in League One. And Berry are still struggling too, losing 2-0 at home to MK Dons to drop back down to 20th. Fleetwood versus Charlton was billed as a battle of two promotion hopefuls. and It was the Addicts who triumphed at Highbury Stadium. Tariq Fossu-Henry, a summer signing from Reading, scored a perfect hat-trick in a 3-1 win. As I say, we'll be talking more about Peterborough in a minute, but what result
0: for Oxford? 4-1 winners at London Road. They'd lost three on the bounce before that, so it's fair to say that Pep Clotet's team really needed that result. Um, Walt Disney's Portsmouth need a result too. They didn't get one, um, even though they're at home to the struggling sexy owls of Oldham. They lost 2-1. And do you remember Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's new manager bounce at Northampton? Well, they were beaten by Rotherham and they are five without a win now.
2: Stefan Bring the Pain netted his sixth goal of the season as Shrewsbury maintained their grip on top spot with a 2-0 win over Scunthorpe. While Anthony Wordsworth wandered lonely as a cloud to give Southend the lead against Blackpool, the Shrimpers won that one 2-1 <laughs> with Mark Oxley saving Jimmy Ryan's stoppage time penalty. And Wiganese to a 2-0 win over Walsall thanks to Will Wilgrig. I'm not going to do the song.
0: <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's have a look at Peterborough. Very weird team in League One. Uh, they, they didn't actually join the Football League until 1960. They won promotion in their first season, but they didn't reach the second flight until 1992. In fact, they've only spent five seasons ever at that altitude. Uh, the last three of them were under the ownership of one Darren McAntony, who took the club on in 2007. And what a ride since then. They've had three promotions, two relegations, a huge turnover of players and managers. And it has to be said they scout a lot better than most at this level. However, their biggest victory was arguably their fight with Victoria Beckham in 2002. Do you remember this? I don't remember this, now. I'd I'd completely forgotten about this. Uh, Victoria Beckham in 2002 launched a counterclaim at the UK Patents Office for the nickname Posh. And uh, (laughs) I kind of went down a Wikipedia hole and, and I had to find out more. Posh's PR at the time, Victoria Beckham's PR said... The name posh is inexorably associated with Victoria Beckham in the public's mind. And the concern from her team is that the public would think she had in some way endorsed products she had no knowledge of. And while Victoria accepts that the football club are nicknamed posh and might want to use a name in association with football products, there's no conceivable reason why they should need blanket coverage for every class of goods. She didn't win that case.
1: I think she's probably glad about it because the last thing she wants to be known as now is posh Spice, isn't it? She's moved on now. She's in a, she's in a higher class. She's she's what, what's a what's a higher class than posh?
0: It's aristocracy, don't yeah. oh Yeah, she's she's all into her fashion now, isn't she? I don't follow these things too closely. Um, but uh, but Peterborough did win. Uh, also uh, along that Wikipedia hole was a uh, Peterborough local paper saying that Darren McCantney had actually given her the rights in exchange for David Beckham's signature, which I got halfway down before realising it had been published on April the 1st, about eight years ago. So that could have made this a very awkward podcast. Uh, but let's bring it back to the present day because it's been a weird season for Peterborough, hasn't it, Matt?
2: It's Yeah, it's been... Pretty strange, they've lost the last two now and Grant McCann, the manager, was really disappointed with the performance against Oxford, obviously in the second half, it was all going perfectly in the first half, winning 1-0, looked to be in total control and uh, yeah, they came out in the second half and Oxford just tore them apart. In Grant McCann, they've got a very good,
1: very intense manager and from the even before he took over the job, he had a very clear way of how he wanted to play. And you can see in the, in the in the the goals for and against you can see that you can see exactly the way they play. They're very attack minded. They're always going to concede goals, but they're always enjoyable to watch. Now that's
0: dangerous at this level, though, isn't it? Because I mean, they only Oldham have conceded more goals at home. They've shipped eleven goals at home.
1: Well, it, it, I'm, I'm sure Grant's not not happy with that. Uh, but it's the same. Like I say, it's the same with Jurgen Klopp. You've got there's got to be a certain amount of acceptance there that this might happen and it's, it, it could happen. They have got some very good attacking players. They're going to miss... Uh, it's a junior Maurice who's uh, yeah, he's injured now. he? that's I a big loss, isn't yeah, it? He's, he's out going, until the new year. That's a bit of a worry for them, but uh, in, in people like uh, Leonardo, De Silva, Lopez, they've got a young wing-back who a lot of clubs have been looking at lately. I know that uh, I, th- I think Arsenal have taken a look at him as well. He's very highly rated. So when you've got people like him on your side, you're always going to have been be an attacking threat. What,
0: what sort of player is, is he? Tell us
1: yeah, about Yeah, he, he's just a... a which is a classic attack, attacking uh, wing back, he's they're, um I know sometimes they they, they do play a three, so it allows him to get forward a lot more. And um, I know that's if, even from from a very young age, uh, he's been highly thought of. And I think the fact that they've even kept all of them so long, even until now, is is, is credit to them. But I think uh, possibly the next year, or so we will see him move on.
2: There was a good interview with uh, Lopez actually last year in the Guardian by Nick Miller. And he sounds really focused for an eighteen-year-old. But probably the best thing about this piece was Barry Fry said he was the best young player he'd seen since George Best. And Fry was obviously an apprentice at Man United around that time. So
0: well, Fry also signed him for Dunstable, I think, um, when when he was manager there. Seriously, George Best. <laughs> yeah, I think he only played once, but uh, but they got quite a big attendance that day.
2: Was that an um, April the first Wikipedia picture? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, Barry Fry um, a, a lot has been said about him uh, particularly by Peterborough fans I, I've met him a few times he's certainly entertaining company um, but he does have an eye for a player doesn't he um, and Peterborough have done very very well with the scouting we talked about uh, Marais, um he came from St Albans uh, Marriott who's also done very well was uh, at Luton in the division below uh, so they're doing something right aren't they
2: yeah definitely and they've got Ricky Miller now to stand in for Marais until the new year Uh, I thought he played pretty well against Oxford in the first half. He had a couple of chances and put himself around a lot. Won a free kick, actually, that was uh, in quite a dangerous position for Marcus Madison to have a go. But, yeah, they've they've recruited really well. Actually, one one of the players who perhaps didn't make many headlines when he joined was Anthony Grant, and... He played brilliantly in the first half. He's actually a former Chelsea youngster. He made one appearance for the Blues in 2005 when he beat Manchester United. It was the last day of the season and uh, he came on in the last minute there for Jose Mourinho's side. But he was really good in the first half, completely controlled the game, uh, putting in tackles, putting balls across left, right and centre and he played a brilliant pass through for Marriott to, to stab home the opener.
0: Matt, you were there at the weekend. Um, what's it like down there? What's the atmosphere?
2: Oh, It's great Ian. It's really warm family club. Uh, I saw Junior Moraes actually was was hanging around before the game his thigh heavily strapped uh, after that injury against Oldham and he was posing for for photographs with young fans a few old fans as well and uh, yeah I, I really enjoyed the experience there it was and it all looked to be going really well for Peterborough as well until that half time team talk from Pep Clotet
0: and they uh, they certainly take their responsibilities away from the pitch very seriously don't they you spoke to well who did you speak to
2: yeah, I spoke to Kaylee Stent, the academy operations manager at Peterborough, and uh, we talked about some recent workshops they've done with Suicide Prevention Charity, If You Care Share, and it, it really is great to see a club taking its responsibility seriously like this. Uh, a few years ago, they had an issue with a player who was struggling a bit, perhaps, and they uh, they called in If You Care Share, who who really helped with that situation, and uh, they maintain a relationship ever since, supporting the charity's campaigns on social media, and then. Last week, they ran uh, workshops throughout the entire youth setup, from the under nines all the way up to the development squad, uh, and putting on workshops that you know sort of educate the players about mental health issues. And uh, Kaylee Stent told me that the players all thought it was going to be quite a dark and gloomy uh, experience for them, but they found it really eye-opening, engaging. They were surprised to learn of other players and celebrities who have struggled with mental health issues, and I think it's uh, yeah a really encouraging thing to to hear the football clubs are uh, putting on this sort of program. To to reduce the the stigma around mental health,
0: David, that's becoming ever more important now in uh, in football, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and, and of course, I think things like this uh, are, are
1: perfect for especially when a, you know from a footballer's point of view to to have this knowledge and to be armed with this knowledge before you get to a point where you need it. And I think the fact that it's you know a, a lot of it now is known through experience with myself and and, and other friends who have finished playing football that. You do come to a point where it's it's kind of crisis and you're having a firefight and people are, you know you you, you work in the, against certain situations, whereas you know you now with all the knowledge that's in the game now and directives like this, uh, it, it gives that knowledge beforehand, so you uh, so you're armed with uh, mechanisms to to be able to cope with it.
2: In previous generations, I think mental health has been something that's only really addressed at the end of a player's career when suddenly you know they go out into the world and they might have to get a job away from football. But the fact that Peterborough have been putting on these programs with players as young as the under nines level, it's just so crucial, really, to teaching them about these issues throughout their their whole career, so that whenever they do eventually leave the game, uh, you know, many of them who will play hundreds of matches, maybe for, for Peterborough or other clubs in the football league, they'll be able to to go out there and, and do something else and, and you know tackle things.
1: And a lot of people sort of say about it being um, uh, that footballers shouldn't be role models. But the fact is that young kids and, and teenagers were more likely to listen to them than will the teachers, parents, or whatever. And if they s- see somebody being open about their uh, the problems that they have had and know that they they can they've they've got through them and there's things you can do to to combat those problems, then it's a great they have a great influence on those kids.
0: Matt, uh, Peterborough, another place. If you're in London, you're stuck for a team to watch. It's quite easy
2: to get to, isn't it? It is. The ABAC Stadium situated on London Road, just on the edge of town, and it's easy to drive there. But do be warned, a lot of the streets around the ground require a residence parking permit. And you could always take the train like I did. It's only about a 20 minutes walk through town, but you get to see the lovely cathedral quarter. Tickets, if you want to sit down, it's £26 for a Category A match, or you can buy on the day for £28. Or you can stand in the terrace for £4 cheaper. And it's a tenner for under-18s and £1 for under-7s, but it must be a shiny coin. Every time I played
1: at uh, London Road, when, especially when I was at Darlington, we got the train down and we walked from the train station to the ground ourselves and carried all our stuff. Really? Yeah. Does that happen very often, generally? No, while, not walking not through the town. Not at all, but it was, it was a good way of warming up before we got in there.
0: Did, did you ever get recognised by any of the home fans?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's 20, 20 lads walking through, <laughs> walking through Peter Rindalik in Dalek in tracksuits, yeah, of course he is. Alrighty. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a tracksuit, for somebody who played sort of played football for 20 odd years, I do not like uh, tracksuits at all, I've, I do not own a tracksuit, I've never owned a tracksuit since I was 14 years old. I
0: don't think I've got one either. I've got um, a nice velour one. It's <laughs> what, like g <G-lure? laughs> I, I like to relax sometimes. Just before we move on, uh, a word on Oxford. We looked at them a couple of weeks ago and were kind of impressed by the progressive football that they were playing, but also a little bit worried that they might not, you know, be able to do it properly. But Matt, um, it, it looks a lot better now, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, they were excellent in that second half. Like I say, at half-time, it really didn't look like they were going anywhere in this game. They were losing 1-0, but Jack Payne completely ran the show. He had a... Had a hand in all four goals, and I think yeah, Pep Clotet looks like he's finally finding his feet.
0: Spoken to anyone connected with Oxford?
2: Yeah, I spoke to George Ellick actually uh, from the Not the Top Twenty pod, Woohoo! and he said a couple of weeks ago that uh, the fans were very patient with with Clotet and implementing this style because you know a couple of results haven't really gone their way in recent weeks, and I think that patience is starting to pay off. The fans were actually brilliant at Peterborough on, on Saturday; they really got behind the team even when they were they were losing one nil and. Uh, Very much rewarded with that fight back.
0: I say woohoo because we've been trying to mention Not the Top 20, uh, which is another Football League podcast you should absolutely listen to. um, Every show so far, and we've either forgotten or had it cut. So uh, there you go. Great podcast. Give it a listen. Right, before we move on to League Two, Matt, you spoke to Richie Wellens last night, didn't you? He's um, caretaker manager of Oldham at the moment. I think he might want the job full-time. He is up against Clarence Seedorf. Oldham are currently 18th in League One. It's, it's not been a very happy start to the season. They did win at the weekend, though. Um, but you spoke to Richie, and here's what he had to say.
1: Who am I to say that the club shouldn't get Clarence Seedorf in as their manager? It's a fantastic name in world football. He won Champions League with three different clubs. You know, it's such a glittering career. And if he does come in as manager, then I, I have to adapt to that whether that be his number two or whether that be me obviously finding somewhere else. But I can only do what I do when I take the team and you know, I think ho- hope that what I'm doing is standing in me in good stead in the future.
0: Now, Matt, speaking of Clarence Seydorf, uh you spoke to someone who came up against him in China, didn't you? What do they make of him?
2: Yeah, I don't think they're really that impressed with his management skills, to be honest. Uh, I spoke to Matt Ward, who was Guy White's assistant at uh, Shenzhen in um, in China, in the, the second division, and he said that when Clown was appointed at a club with a really similar sounding name, actually, Shenzhen, uh, he said that he tried to adopt a very flowing football passing style, play it out from the back, and it didn't really work with a team that were already halfway through the season and uh, you know hadn't been playing that way for, for the early part of the campaign, and very quickly they fell away from the promotion places, and... If he came into Oldham halfway through the season again and tries to do something similar, you wonder whether that's really going to work out for them.
0: If Clarence does get the job, he might be at home at the Milan Bar and Function venue in Oldham. Uh, well, it's situated in the heart of Leeds, actually, but it's easily accessible from Oldham. So that's that's important information for Clarence Sadoff. should he get the job. Thank you, producer Ben. We don't want him to get the job. Of course, we want Richie to because he spoke to us and, and that's all it takes to win our favour. Coming up after this...
3: It's League Two. People of the Totally Football shows, we know your listening plate's pretty full at the moment, but here's a heads up about another fantastic podcast you'll definitely want to check out. It's called The Football Manager Files, and over the course of six rather splendid episodes, it examines every aspect of the football manager's life, from picking a club, to choosing your tactics, to scouting and recruiting, to, you know, dealing with the sack. It's got interviews and insights from the likes of Alex McLeish, Slavin Billich, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Alan Pardew, Gary Monk and even Big Sam himself. And how do we know it's any good, you ask? Well, your pals here at Muddy Knees Media, that's us, we lovingly made it. The first episode's out now, so search for the Football Manager files on iTunes, on SoundCloud and your podcasting app of choice.
0: All right, League Two. We will be talking about Lincoln very soon, but let's see uh, what else happened in in League Two. Uh, They drew 0-0, of course, uh, away at Grimsby in a match that saw both managers being really nice and respectful to each other after the game, which makes you feel very warm inside. Uh, There was lots of warmth at Chesterfield, too, for their new manager, Jack Lester. Didn't help. They lost 2-0 at home to Cheltenham, and it's looking so grim for Forest Green. Another defeat, this time 1-0
2: at home to Accrington crew lost for the fifth game in a row with a 1-0 defeat at Coventry. The corner flag played a part in that one. And there was a bit of a kerfuffle in Crawley's 1-0 defeat at home to Carlisle with three players sent off at Broadfield Stadium. Exeter are back to winning ways finally after getting rid of the curse of the Totally Football League show and they beat Morecambe 4-1. Two great finishes from Jaden Stockley at St James's Park.
0: Speaking of that curse, we spoke about Bolton last week. They lost. We spoke about Northampton last week. They lost. Newport. Yep, they lost as well. Thudding inevitability, 3-1 at Luton. The Hatters are fifth now. Elsewhere, it's four wins in six for Steve Evans-Mansfield. And and what a win, 3-1 over Notts County. Um, But they are still leading the table, Notts County. And down at the bottom, it's uh, it's just a hat-trick of misery there. Port Vale lost, um, and they are stuck. Five points adrift of 21st, welded to Chesterfield and Forest Green.
2: It's gone a bit better for Swindon, who ground out a 2 0 win over Cambridge to move back up to 9th, as Wickham jumped into the playoff spots with their third win in a week, sing off Barn at 3 1. Colchester beat Yeovil 1 0 to go level on points with the Glovers, but Harry Redknapp's been offering his help to manager Darren Way.
0: Right, Lincoln. You know what Lincoln's famous for? The Battle of Lincoln, William Marshall. Very audacious military victory. I recommend reading about it in the book The Greatest Knight. Apart from that, They are famous for being the first club to be relegated to non-league, like actually properly relegated, Uh, because before that day in 1987, do you remember re-election, David? Yeah, that'd be relegated really like back in the league. Here, of course. Yeah. They they would essentially ask all the other chairmen to vote as to whether or not they wanted relegation. And, and uh, o- oddly enough, these turkeys frequently voted against the concept of Christmas, and no one went down um, until this moment. Lincoln went, but they bounced straight back up again the following year, which may have lulled them into a false sense of security because in 2011, despite having Essex legend Steve Tilson as manager, they went down again. And they stayed down for six seasons. And then the Cowley brothers arrived. You probably saw them in the Cup last season. They matched that extraordinary Cup run with promotion back to the Football League. And now, wedged into the middle of the table, they've made a decent start. Uh, David, you used to play there and coached there. Yeah. Um, what
1: happened? Well, I mean, basically, you're you right. What you said about when they were relegated under, under Steve Tilson, it took sort of a good four years to get the club back in an even keel again. I mean, when I first went there, I, I don't, I'd played there when I when I was at Darlington, and, and I'd always saw it as a league club. When I went in there, it gradually over the course of a couple of seasons, it kind of started to get this sort of not part time, but like a, a a conference feel about the place. And it, it, you would see it was it wasn't the right way to go, and the budgets were cut year on year, and in it needed exactly what the what. Nicky and and Danny have brought to the club. They've brought professionalism. They've brought uh, a system in in place that is in clubs higher in higher divisions, and the whole mentality of the club has changed so much in the last twelve months. It's it's, it's almost unrecognisable. Oh, and they're a
0: big club, aren't they? Uh, flying away at the top of the average attendance league in in that division, eight and a half thousand every game.
1: Well, that's it. In the I, I don't know. It's um, perhaps six and a half thousand season tickets. The, the, the whole FA Cup run last season not just the promotion it was the FA Cup run it really sort of it brought the fans back the, the, the fans had sort of stayed away in the droves were probably averaging two and a half thousand probably just breaking even really and then this Cup run it, it's just re-enthused the whole city and it's amazing now people are getting behind the club really and it's there's a real buzz about the place and, and the fact is this season I, I because they've got the, the template that they've got, it's almost like uh, it, sometimes in business, some businessmen can uh, have this template for, for a business and they can just go from, from one uh, industry to another and it can be successful. And that's what they've got. And the fact that they've been able to nurture this over... a uh, Long time since they've, you know, because they were PE teachers without any pressure, they've been able to just see what works, what doesn't work. So they've gotten to this point where it's their first season as uh, as league managers, football league managers, but the, the process has been sort of long and gradual. And they've got to the point now where you think, well, there was no way they were going to struggle this season. And the fact that, yeah, they, they've brought a few players in, they've, they've tinkered a little bit, but majority of the squad is the same. And they, they, uh, not too much has changed. So like I think what they've they've brought in they managed to bring in they've had the budget of bringing a, a new analyst because Nicky Cowley was doing all the the uh, the uh, sort of the, the analysis himself so he'd be all night three o'clock in the morning just sort of putting videos together for clubs clip for the for the players preparation sort of post match analysis and so now they've got somebody that sort of frees Nicky up a little bit more as well so it's not time consuming for him and I think the way they go about the 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 football their style of football some people can say it's direct but it's it's, that's a misunderstanding the thing is they've got a plan for every situation so every sort of like they break the game up in a very small uh, fragments so even if it's just a, a simple throw in or a goal kick they work a lot on that so that they, all the players know exactly where they should be and they've got like when they get the, the analysis videos it's it's so minute detail that they go into where if they're a yard or two out a position, they can correct them and just say, this way you should be. So over a course of time, it's just drip feeds in, so it becomes natural to the players.
0: And that, that impresses footballers, doesn't it? Because ordinarily, you come from a background as a PE teacher into a, a fairly large football club like that. The players are probably going to have their doubts from the off. Uh, do, do you think that's how they won them over?
1: I don't know. I, th- I think the way that... Uh, the way that they come across, uh, that Nick, Danny and Nicky come across, and Jimmy Walker as well as a goalkeeper coach. Yeah, the way they come across, they come across as very sort of. You no, know, they came across really well last year in the media. They they played the game very well, but there's a real. Uh, it's the same. You know, I was talking about intensity with Grant McCann. There's a real intensity, and if you've been on the opposite side of the the dugout to them, you know that how much they want to win.
2: I was just going to say, you, you you mentioned how uh, if you if you faced them in the dugout, that you know you've been in a game, and there was that. Famous uh, audience with Arsene Wenger that they had last season after they lost to Arsenal in the FA Cup, where he spent an hour and a half with them. I think it was in the dressing room afterwards discussing the game, talking about everything to do with management, and they were taking up, uh, you know, soaking up as much knowledge as possible from that over over Coca Cola, I believe it was.
1: When when it comes to winning over players, you, you can see that people from the outside might think that that it it takes uh, some convincing players from the background they come to, but they they do have this air about them. It's. Uh... It, it Maybe arrogance is probably too far, but it's the fact that they've got this confidence and belief in what they do. So it comes across as a real sort of confidence. So so people, uh, if you sit in the dressing room, they, you, you listen to them. So now they've, they've got to a position, not just because, like I said, not just because the FA Cup run, but the way they went about things, the way they, I mean, they, they should have really got to the FA tro- uh, Trophy final last year as well. They got beaten York in the semi final. They should have been there uh, at Wembley last year as well. And now it's come to a point where they, they, they signed Michael Boswick um in the summer and he had a chance to go to I think it might have been Blackburn yeah. uh and two other clubs and the fact that he was undecided I mean, he's probably I think he's probably his Blackburn was it's it' a big club you know a good chance of going back up again he's probably swayed by that but from the very moment he he, he stepped into uh to sincecil Bank and he met Danny Cowley his mind was made up and that's the influence he has over, over players now. And it's it's given them a, a bit of, uh, not just a bit of cashier because of, of what they've done, but the, the fact that they, they, they really do have a great influence over players.
0: And analysis is such a big part of, of what they do. And you don't have to go back that far for opposition scouting to, you know, just be the lads in the uh, in the stadium with little notepads, desperately trying to mark out corner kick routines. At that level, how much of a difference can really detailed analysis make?
1: Huge, because obviously clubs are now um, a lot of it's to do with budgets, but it's dripping down into from the from the Premier League Championship. So teams are becoming more professional, but the fact is they have gone into so much detail that. It, 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 at the level that they were in the conference in the conference north it, it was uh, it, it must have it was light years ahead because some teams thought still thought they could get away with sort of like um, just the old school man management style just making sure the players are in the right frame of mind and then sending them out and without without a great deal of detail now what they do is like I said people mistake it for being direct football but they just put so many things in their favor they just take a lot of maybe not a lot of risk out of it. Maybe that's a wrong word to say, but they do put the percentages in their favour. It's and it's it's not just percentage football the way they play, but with the set pieces. The focus on set pieces is huge, and, uh, and 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 that's what can make a difference. What you saw last year, there was games when I think uh, a lot of times you'd see the one nil down. And then with 10 minutes to go, they'd still win games. because Not, not just because of fitness, but because they, they had a plan to stay in games. And then set pieces got them out of the, uh, out hey, the, out the I'll
0: tell you what though, do they know the story of the Lincoln Imp? Do you know the story of the Lincoln Imp? I do not. Because producer Ben, um, obviously aggrieved at me putting William Marshall in the Battle of Lincoln down as the most important thing, has told me that according to a 14th century legend, two mischievous creatures called imps were sent by Satan himself to do their evil work on earth. And after causing mayhem in northern England, the two imps headed to Lincoln Cathedral and they smashed tables and chairs and tripped up the bishop. And when an angel came out of a book of hymns and told them to stop, one of the imps was brave and started throwing rocks at the angel. The other imp cowered under the broken tables and chairs. And the angel turned the first imp to stone, giving the second imp a chance to escape. And it's said that even on still days, it's always windy around the cathedral because it's the second imp circling the building looking for his friend.
1: Do you know what... The uh, obviously the, the fans uh, have got a great affinity with the imp, but when, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the success the clubs had, it's been very limited. And it got to a point, especially when I was out, people started talking about, well, is it because of the imp? Is it sort of a bad luck symbol? And there were actually some talk about really? maybe, maybe he's getting rid of it as the uh, as the badge. Hmm. Now now things have turned. Obviously, it's it's what they're known for now.
0: You know what we should do though? We should actually talk about the game um, away at Grimsby. Bit of a local derby. They took 2,000 supporters, didn't they? Matt, you watched this.
2: I did. It's actually the second week in a row that I've watched Grimsby as they lost to Newport away the week before. And it really wasn't a very good match at all.
0: <laughs> it wasn't pretty, was it? David, did you see it?
2: Yeah, well, I saw a great deal of it.
1: and the uh, I think Grimsby, Grimsby started off probably the better side, I think. And then probably after about 20 minutes, Lincoln sort of got back in the game and they probably controlled it from then on. I think they probably had their, their best chance. I don't think Josh Vickers was really... Uh, bothered much in, during the whole of the game.
2: I think, like you said, David, with um, the, the analysis on, on the Lincoln side, you can see it in the defensive organisation. They were really tight. They defended high balls into the box really well. And we saw it on that cup run last season as well. I remember when they went to, to Burnley away in the FA Cup and you know they defended pretty much for 90 minutes there. And that's one of the uh, most enjoyable results I've ever seen because all of my friends are Burnley fans. So, so I enjoyed loading that one over them.
1: Um, but even even against Arsenal though, the fact that they, they were they, they got to about an hour and they, they looked they would they were cooked, you know what I mean? they were done. But up till then they put up a, a great defensive display. And I think one of the, the big things of last season was the fact that they they, they were able to utilize the whole squad and it's the same this season. They've got a, a bench where it doesn't make any difference when they're taking people out. Now you've got uh, you've got Matt Reid who scored a lot of goals last season. He's on the bench now. You've got uh, Captain Um Luke Waterfall, he was injured just before the start of the season so he missed the first couple of games and he struggled to get back in at the side so they have strength and depth so when when it does come to it when, uh, when they do start losing players through injury suspension they're well covered
2: You could see that they were clearly the more footballing team against Grimsby. They tried to play it on the ground. They played it into Matt Green's feet. He managed to turn a couple of times and get shots away. And I thought Bostwick played really well, actually. I took quite a close look at him because he was linked with Blackburn in the summer. So I wanted to see what we'd missed out on. And uh, he had a couple of chances. He was up and down in midfield. Uh, You know, he played really well. Just a big mesh of hair sprawling all over the football pitch.
0: Um, David uh, we've had loads of Shrewsbury fans on wanting us to talk about them and we will talk about them quite possibly next week because um, they're doing so well uh, but one of the many success stories over there is John Nolan who was there at Lincoln while you were at the club what's he like?
1: He's a very very nice footballer who, who could run all day and he's um, while we were at Lincoln we, we possibly didn't get for one reason or other, we didn't get the best out of him and I knew that he could play at a much higher level because he was very composed on the ball. Like I say, he was a great passer. And his running was effortless. Uh, he's, he can get up and down. And that was the He probably played within himself. And I don't know whether... It was, I don't think it was because he thought he was too good. But he just... When, when he could have broke forward out of midfield he he, he played very safe now he went uh, I think he went on trial to Barnsley after he left then he went to Chesterfield and now he's at Shrewsbury it looks like Paul Hurst getting the best out of him and, and it's no surprise to me like I said but just for one reason
2: or another we just couldn't get the best out of him at the time
0: Matt if you want to go see Lincoln you really should go and see
2: Lincoln how do you do it? Well, don't listen to any mischievous imps, Ian. <laughs> Take the A46 into Lincoln and the Cinsel Bank Stadium should be signposted. There's plenty of on-street parking around the ground and a couple of car parks for the usual £4. It's also only 15 minutes from the train station, which is pretty handy. Have
1: you ever walked it, David? Almost every day for about three years, I did, yeah.
2: <laughs> Ticket prices, adults are £18, over 60s £14, under 18s or students, only £7, but do remember your NUS card.
0: Right, uh, uh, breaking news from producer Ben. He says, according to one popular legend, the imp which escaped uh, fled north to Grimsby where it soon began making trouble and may be the cause of you know ill-feeling between the two. I cannot believe I only got eight seconds on William Marshall, the greatest knight in British history. And we've had around about five minutes on imps. Um, because of that, We haven't actually got very much time left. We've got just enough time to do questions, though. Colin Miller says, Are Coventry genuine promotion contenders under Mark Robbins? Who's seen Coventry recently?
2: Well I think we definitely need to go and pay Coventry a visit this season because after relegation last year they seem to be on the way back up under Mark Robbins and like I said in the roundups they got that assist from the corner flag to beat of the other day but it was Dukin's nazons fourth goal of the season, apologies Dukins if I pronounced that incorrectly, he's on loan from Wolves after joining them from Kerala Blasters, it sounds like quite a fascinating career.
0: OK, Matt, question from Andy and Brum. Have you got your promotion hat on yet? Or is it the old oh God Blackburn Rovers are just setting us up to break our hearts hat?
2: I've already booked the open-top bus parade <laughs> we, we signed Dominic Samuel from Reading, we've stolen all of their goals and we're taking them back up to the championship with us.
0: And uh, Liam Ager, um, he is uh, invoking the much-maligned EFL trophy, the check trade trophy, of course. He says, what would be the best Style, the best format of tournament for, for that trophy because um, I think South End's chief executive came out and said, Look, you know, this isn't ideal, but it's not working. We need to do something, um, which was a, a reasonable point. But I'll tell you what I'd do I'd do straight knockout, obviously, no development squads involved, but I'd make sure that League One only had three playoff places and the fourth spot was for the winner of the Checker Trade trophy. Now that would. You know, you'd suddenly have everyone putting in full strength teams just in case.
1: Write it down, put it in.
0: All right. Well, well, I think they're listening. So, our friends at the EFL, you can have that one for free.
2: I'd go for actual sudden death, check a trade versus (laughs) Hunger Games.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll put that to them. Actual death. Why not?
2: We've seen Battle Royale.
0: They get paid very well they know the risks when they sign up <laughs> people would watch that <laughs> they definitely would uh, last question for David um, a question we ask all our ex-pros who's your best friend in football just in football so you don't have to choose between me
1: and Matt probably Luke Steele yeah. who uh, he was at uh, Barnsley Panther night loss, and now he's just gone to Bristol City oh yeah. excellent so we were quite close
0: well, yeah. we know who to uh, come to when we want his number to get him on the show. There's not much time left. Uh, live football on TV. It's international week, of course, and so no championship. On Saturday, you can watch Barnett, who started really well and have just really hit the skids. Uh, they are playing Mark Robbins Coventry. Uh, that's Saturday at 12.30. On Sunday at 2.30, it's uh, managerless Gillingham against Portsmouth. So you can watch both of those. David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here with us. Pleasure. Matt? Thank you very much. Thank you. And to you, dear listener, thank you too. We'll see you again next week. We'll have another very special guest and we will probably be focusing a little bit more on League One and League Two than we do normally. Thank you.
3: The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddykneesmedia.com.